Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. We're coming to you from the Brave Podcast Studio at Consensus 2023. Brave is the privacy browser used by almost 60 million people worldwide. It has everything you need to stay safe online. Check them out today at brave.com. This is Carpe Consensus. Join hosts Ben Schiller, Danny Nelson, and Cam Thompson as they seize the world of crypto. All right. So, uh, how do I do a, how do I do the intro? How do we do the intro without Ben? Without, I guess with, this is the intro. This is it's just the, intro. the just the kids left behind Which, yeah. without dad. So dad's out. No dad's rules. Dad's out. No rules. Yeah. Um. Well, welcome to Carpe Consensus. Let's get into it. Let's get into it. Yeah. It's day three of Consensus. We are out here having a great time. All of us are a little bit tired. My voice is a little bit kind of going away. But so just to be clear, my name's Cam Thompson. I'm a Web three reporter at CoinDesk. The Web3 reporter. The Web3 reporter. We have two Web3 editors and one Web3 reporter. Yes, I am the Web3 reporter, I guess. And sitting next to me is the amazing Danny Nelson. Danny, what's your title? Because I think we should hear from you today. Yes. So my current title at the moment, and it often changes, is Managing Editor of Data and Tokens. Uh, I'm not sure what I mean by that, what I'm supposed to be doing, but that is my title here at Coindesk. Amazing. Slay. Yes. Uh, and Ben gets that wrong all the time. He he likes making up different things for me to do. Business reporter, business editor. I've I've worn a lot of hats today. No hats, only boots. Because we are both wearing boots from Alan's Boots. That's right. Yep. Not we're not being paid for this. A uh, shout out. Uh, although Alan's Boots will take your money. Yeah. So Danny, why are you so tan? You know, I heard a little bit that you were getting outside. You know, I know, right? Like events. here at, here at a, a, the conference, we're supposed to stay inside this room where there is no sunlight and I'm supposed to look pale as all hell. I am a little tan. Thanks for noticing. Uh, yesterday I absconded and went golfing at 830. Uh, and just because I was golfing for 18 holes and it was lovely, by the way, shout out to Riverside Golf Course. Um, that didn't mean that I had, could stop working. So, in fact, on hole 15, I got a call from a source. They're like, where's the story? It's late. Like, shoot, it didn't publish. And so then I, I told my, my golfing partner, I said, all right, just play through the hole. I got to get this done. And then I pulled out my laptop on the 15th hole, uh, connected to my phone, hotspotted, 
and uh, got that story out the door. I published from the golf course because iconic. Yeah, there is. And that's actually the second time that I've published a story from the golf course. And for some reason, every time I'm publishing stories from a golf course, I'm writing about chain analysis, which, which <laughs> I'm wearing the socks of right now. But as we've established, no one can see those socks because I'm wearing boots from Alan's boots. boots. Uh, Twelve twenty South Congress Avenue. Please buy their boots. Yes. And Alan's, please give us money. By the way, notice how I'm tan too. Yes. It's fake. Oh. I've not been outside. Oh, no. <laughs> that sounds awesome, Danny, to be outside publishing stories from the golf course. You know, I'd rather have just been golfing, but That's valid. seeing that I'm here to do work, it wasn't so bad. Not so bad. Exactly. Anyways, we're going to get into some of the biggest highlights we've been covering at Consensus. So let's get into it. Let's get inside the desk. Cam, start us off. What's in your desk today? All right. On my desk today, well, actually on the metaverse and gaming stage at 11.15 today. I'm actually, it's 11.30. At 11.30 today, I'm really excited. I am going to be sitting down with the COO and co-founder of the Sandbox metaverse, Sebastian Bourget. And this is a very exciting fireside for me. In October 2022, I wrote a little story about the metaverse and its daily active users. Oh my, this was the most triggering story of all time. It was the most triggering story of all time, just so we're aware. I haven't been reporting for very long. I've been writing for a little over a year. And this was my first big story that got a lot of traffic, got a lot of attention. Mark Cuban tweeted it out. Which it became was, the story of the day, to be clear. It was a big story. It was a big story, absolutely. And a lot of people were talking about it, talking about how DAP radars metrics were wrong and Decentraland wasn't reporting their numbers correctly, neither was the Sandbox. So DapRadar worked with Decentraland in order to figure out how to change their metrics on reporting the metaverse statistics. So instead of counting daily active users, they switched to daily active wallets and a lot of conversation came out of it about how the metaverse was valued. So I talked to some people at the conference and they've brought up to me this story and conversation and I've been like, oh yeah, I wrote that. Haha, that was me. <laughs> and people were pretty upset about it, for sure. And I understand, you know. Were they upset to you here? Were they saying, that story was terrible, I hated it? People have said, not just here, but in the past couple weeks, people have said that was terrible. People have said that was really valuable. You know, I got some very positive feedback from the story very initially, also obviously negative as well. And you know, we did talk about the sandbox in the story. And one of the reasons why this panel is happening, it's a lot of it is inspired by the content of what went into that story. So I'm really excited to be moderating it. I think that talking with Sebastian on stage about how to value these platforms, metrics that matter, you know, talking about land and the value of virtual real estate is a super important conversation. So I'm really looking forward to it. I think it'll be, I think it'll be really productive and just having a platform for Sebastian to be able to voice some of those issues, as well as giving me a chance to kind of dig into some of those questions in a live setting. So, of course, I'm a little bit nervous, but I'm excited. It should be cool. Well, Kevin, you know what they say? They say uh, news are, is the stories they don't want you to write. Everything else is marketing. So exactly. what we're trying to do, we're not trying to piss people off for no reason. We're trying to shed light on issues, even if and sometimes especially if they are uncomfortable and make people with the potential to make people upset because they're truthful. So that's what we're going for here, trying to decode this wacky world and shed some light on these subjects. Absolutely. So Danny, outside of the metaverse, what has been coming out of Binance and this little island in the South Pacific? Yes. Well, yesterday I was on stage with the head of financial investigations for Binance, a former FBI guy, current baller, 
uh, he was talking with me behind stage about the situations that Binance tries to deal with, and uh, we, it, our conversation turned to one of the booths here at Consensus, the island of Palau. I don't know where it is. I assume it's in the Pacific, which doesn't really help because the Pacific is very big. It's a very large it's, ocean. It's a very large. I think it might be the largest. I don't know. I've never been. Anyway, this island has a booth here, and it's selling e-citizenship passes that it says holders can use to be basically a resident, not a citizen, but a resident of Palau, that they can go onto these major crypto exchanges and use these IDs for KYC. And what that means is, let's say you're a U.S. resident, as many of the people in Austin, Texas at this conference are, not all, but many, uh, you can buy this thing in order to make crypto trades that you're not supposed to make. Danny, that sounds so odd. Yes. So people can buy citizenships in order to bypass crypto regulation. The, not full citizenships, but basically, yes, they could buy this thing in order to make crypto trades that they're not supposed to make. And that poses a challenge for Binance and other exchanges because by, they have to keep up. They have they have to stay on top of these things. They're not supposed to let people trade. And this island, the, the guy who was working the booth said he reports to the minister of finance directly is helping people do it. And the funniest part for me was I asked this guy who was selling these ideas, so do you have to be in Palau to use the ID? And what he said was very telling. He said, no, you just have to have an IP address that is not in the United States, Oof. which is basically him alluding to the fact that I'm going to need a VPN and to break the law in order to do it. So Palau... Um, Call me. I have a lot of questions. Yeah, I also have a lot of questions. Yeah. That's fascinating. All right, another Cam's Corner for you, live from Austin. Super excited about this segment. We have a very special guest sitting right here next to me is Dr. Matt, Matt Stevenson, head of crypto economics at venture capital firm Pantera. Matt, thank you so much for being here today. How's it going? Thanks for having me. Yeah, doing all right. How doing all right. Awesome. So, Matt, I, I have this itch on my foot. Uh, can we, can, after the show, can you take a look at it? I, I mean, it says doctor on my tag, so I think Perfect. I'm forced to. Yeah. Perfect. Okay, awesome. Should we do this now on... On air. I mean, I, I wish, but we unfortunately, we're not recording the video, so oh, the, okay. the, the audience won't get the full experience. Follow-up segment. Absolutely. Follow-up yeah. segment. Right. Absolutely. So, Matt, how has your consensus been going? Uh, it's been amazing. It's been amazing. Every uh, really uh, great conversations. Amazing. That's, that's how I judge a conference, pretty much. You ra have random conversations and how kind of like high quality are they? All high quality. So, Do you pursue these conversations at the main event, at the side events? Like, what, what's your vibe? Where do you hit? I mean, honestly, side events, but... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's so valid. The side events is where the value is a lot of the time. So what's been on your mind? Like you come here for the good conversations. What types of things are you talking about as a crypto economist? Well, so, I mean, generally my job is, you know, we have uh, 200 plus portfolio companies. My job is if they want to talk to an economist, they talk to me, right? So I'd say probably half the questions are around like token design, tokenomics, and then half of them fall into a general bucket of like, what are other incentive relevant things, right? So it could be MEV, it can be grant making, um, it can be uh, like incentive audits, like see if there's interesting sort of attacks that can be done on mechanisms, that kind of stuff. So that stuff's all in my mind. But uh, I don't know, I guess uh, right at the moment, been to a few NFT events. I'm uh, pretty passionate about NFTs personally, so, uh, so that's on my mind. And then, you know, MEV is kind of like on the tip of everyone's tongue, except for AI. Obviously, you have to like 
you have to like shuffle through the AI conversations mm -hmm. and you make your way back to MEV. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. So Matt, yesterday we were talking about your background in behavioral economics, behavioral strategy, and how a lot of this field of economics is super relevant in the crypto space right now. And I'm fascinated by it. You know, I come from an econ background. I love having these kinds of conversations. So tell me about what you're noticing, not just at consensus, but in this space right now when it comes to game theory and people's behaviors in terms of the market. Yeah, I mean, I, I think like we started uh, crypto economics in the space as, as, you know, drawing on economics, but it's increasingly become behavioral in the sense that we're now paying a lot more attention to sort of non-rational, non-self-regarding human behavior, which is more the domain of behavioral economics, behavioral game theory. So you'll hear, you know, Vitalik wrote this great essay, The Scarcest Resources Legitimacy, right? Suggesting that maybe at the root of much of what we're doing, there's this kind of interesting socio-psychological concept called legitimacy. So that's just naturally handled pretty well if you want to model it formally in behavioral game theory. But there's all these others as well, right? You read about AMMs and people will model noise traders. Okay, so noise traders are irrational traders. In what ways are they irrational? You can model it with behavioral game theory. Um, uh, yeah, the, certainly DAO behavior, right, around social identity. NFT behavior is really interesting psychologically. And so I just think we're in a space that's pretty much... Uh, a behaviorally driven space and we're not fully using the tools for it, but I think we're using the concepts at this point. So I'm sort of like, uh, I'm pitching us to get a little more formal. So the specifics of crypto, I don't think really have entered into academia yet. Like MEV, maximal extractable value, which is basically a way of re returning value to people or, or claiming value through the transaction processing on a blockchain. I think that's more or less what MEV is, but regardless, it's not it's philosophical really, debate. Yeah, it, it's, <laughs> regardless, it's not really in the realm of academia yet, or is it? But like, how do you bring in yeah. a, a, an economic approach to these things when they're not as? How do how do you approach these? Things? I would say most of them are are reducible to the language of incentives, which is game theory, okay. right? So, uh, so for MEV, one of the relevant concepts is like what's called adverse selection, right? The ways in which you're exposed negatively to, um, uh, like your prices go stale on the market is one of the reasons you get kind of like MEV'd, you know? And that's that's what's called an adverse selection effect. Um, so, so, you know, without going down the nerdy rabbit hole, I think there are applicable concepts, but you're right that like the concepts and terms and uh, problems we're approaching in crypto don't always line up with them perfectly. Mm -hmm. So it's more art than science to sort of figure out here are the corresponding things we need to look at and pull in to solve these sorts of problems. And, and yet, over time, if crypto succeeds in becoming the thing that is big, uh, these will have to and inevitably will enter into academia, right? I, I think so. And I mean, I think they already are to a large extent, right? I mean, there's definitely a lot of skeptical holdouts, but there's increasing interest. Certainly, uh, you know, cryptography changes some of these games we, we model in, in fairly interesting ways. And I think people take, serious people take those seriously. So, yeah. So, Matt, you're really into NFTs. And, you know, we've talked about this many times before. At consensus so far, what has been the general landscape for NFTs here? I mean, I know we were talking, you went to an event yesterday, if you want to talk about that a little bit, or just how you've seen people talk about some of these topics and how people are engaging with it, especially at a conference that is typically so crypto heavy, you know, this newer market that's pretty much entered in the last couple of years. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's always hard, uh, you know. You people get a little depressed when the prices are what they are, or you know they're down, or something like that. But uh, most of the events here, anyway, so far, you've, you've had enough true believers where there's really not that much hemming and hawing around uh, a recent price drop or a floor price or whatever. There's the sense that this stuff is inevitable, and it's really just a matter of time, which I think is ultimately kind of my belief. Um, I think one of the th one of the things that was interesting, um, a side event with Yuga Labs 
right? Where they're they're kind of trying to get into into gaming, which I think is a it's an interesting play and kind of in some ways the right play, but the hardest play for NFTs, right? Uh, the the argument basically being that what we were trying to do in NFTs is colonize these little <laughs> these little small bits of interoperable space that we're given on web two, right? Like a like a profile picture or something like that. Uh, that's our one little bit of space. So we take our real objects, our NFTs, and put them in there, right? If we want to do an on-chain like that we went to the art blocks event, right? That stuff is kind of colonizing the space of the blockchain itself uh, because it's on-chain art, right? Like that's kind of where it does its thing. So I think gaming represents the frontier where you can say, okay, we're going to create the space as well as the objects. So they're giving themselves two challenges. Uh, it's where the promise is and it's also where the challenge is. But I, I don't know. I mean, they're, they obviously hired... Um, was a CEO, uh, Daniel Allegra. I can't remember actually what company. He yeah, was from at, Activision but. Blizzard. Yeah. yeah, and then he's speaking today at 11:45 with oh. my editor as his first fireside at a conference ever. So, oh, nice. I'm excited to see that. But back to what you were saying about gaming and this, you know, object approach. And you know, gaming is all part of this greater metaverse strategy that a lot of companies are trying to adopt. And you recently wrote a newsletter about some of these topics and an objects NFTs object first approach. Can you talk about that a little bit more? Yeah, yeah. The the idea is essentially that um, we w the NFTs or the uh, metaverses that was talked about in novels, the one we kind of anticipated might have existed if you read science fiction in 1990, would be we just have this giant VR world that we'd all hang out in, and then the political economy of who would actually manage that, we're just going to kind of hand wave. It's always a little bit sus to be like, okay, who's going to own this giant world and have control over it? And of course, what we're seeing is is kind of the opposite, where there's no giant one space that we all go to, but we are treating these little objects as real. So rather than it being space first, as as the metaverse proponents thought, my my fellow Stevenson Neil, uh, I feel like I have to have to contradict him here and say what seems to be emerging is we're treating the objects as real, and that seems to be uh, what's what's actually occurring and the thing that we should maybe pay attention to more, right? And the ways in which we can uh, support that phenomenon of the metaverse. But mm -hmm. yeah, anyway. So, so to talk about the metaverse more broadly, like what, what are your thoughts then about Facebook's efforts to create a metaverse? Because yeah. that s effort, I think, certainly fashions itself to be the attempt to create the metaverse that everyone uses. Yeah. Uh, and what we're seeing in crypto is the opposite, where we actually have little little hamlets here and there that don't that might you might be able to move assets from one to the other, maybe, but they're still separate worlds. Well, I would I I push back on the last part a little okay. bit, right? Because I think one of the one of the amazing things about NFTs is you have it bridged from blockchain to blockchain mm -hmm. in some cases, right? So there really isn't that Hamlet experience in quite the same way, right? You have counterparty NFTs which gets get bridged from Emblem to Ethereum and they're treated just as real on Ethereum. What seems to matter only is that it's on a blockchain, which I think is secretly maybe the most bullish case for blockchains in general that the only way the only alchemy we have for turning a bit into an object is on a blockchain do we know why no but it seems to just definitely be the case but as for as for meta um yeah i mean it, it just seemed to get it exactly wrong right like they're just following the script that was set out in a, in the science fiction books of 1991 and of course that sounds like a dream if you're zuckerberg to be like okay well of course i'm just going to build the space that everybody goes Earth Two or whatever the virtual world, but how much time did uh, did you all spend in his uh, his conference room, the Meta Virtual Conference Room, with Zuckerberg's little cartoon avatar? Uh, I have <laughs> gone there all of one time, and yeah, we actually cool. for <laughs> so I've been at Coindesk for four years. The first consensus that I went to, and I've been to four consensi, uh, <laughs> but I've only been to two in person consensi because the first two were during COVID times. 
and we didn't know how to do it. We, how are we going to hold a massive conference for lots of people, bring them together? The answer was Zoom, and uh, virtual conferences should die an angry death. But what Coindesk did for us, for the staff, was purchased everyone in Oculus Rift. Uh, and then we all gathered together in an er earlier version of Facebook's metaverse uh, to commune and discuss and be little blobs floating around. And it was really weird, and it didn't really feel valuable at all. And it certainly wasn't working in the let's find new means of viable human connection, which is a, a big part of what Zuckerbot has been uh, selling the metaverse as being. Yeah. That sounds right. That's been my experience as well. I mean, I, I think it could be interesting way on down the road, right? But that's just clearly not what we're seeing, right? Like what we're seeing is, is interest around the objects, which I think is cool. All right. So Danny, you were just talking about this consensus. I believe this was consensus 2020, correct? Probably, yeah. Okay. So right at the start of COVID. And this was pre-NFT hype, pre, you know, NFTs existed, but people weren't talking about them at all, really, in terms of the greater crypto markets and certainly not at a point of adoption within the Web3 space. So I'm curious, in your conversations about this object first metaverse and incorporating NFTs, you know, how a lot of these platforms that have trying to have been trying to push the metaverse for years are having to sort of take steps back and understand the real value of having these assets on chain and how it looks now and where you think it's going to go. Yeah, I mean, I, th I think it's a challenge. It depends on how much you've sort of set up your narrative to be precisely the kind of Zuckerbot style metaverse, right? Uh, but if you have some flexibility, um, I, think, I think you are seeing these kind of positive changes. For instance, I mean, there's, there's obviously an increasing narrative about utility NFTs, which I feel a little bit uh, I'm, I'm a little bit both sides with, right? But like you take something like Fred's with benefits. That used to always be my example of why you didn't necessarily need a utility NFT. Like they, they token gated their community off of ERC20s. Mm -hmm. They're switching to an NFT in a way that I think honestly probably makes sense, right? Because you recognize there's some, uh, boy, I was going to give you the nerdy econ word, complementarity or whatever. Okay. Yes, yeah, yes, let's, do let's, it. let's go. We, we like the, let's, I like the nerdy rabbit hole. Word of the day. All right, the word it of the works. Day. This there, is Cam's corner. I want nerdy <laughs> rabbit hole. Nerdy, okay? nerdy rabbit holes? Okay. I want it now. <laughs> okay, well, what, what you want then is the uh, is a complementarity between the asset and the experience, right? So that's what NFTs can give you if you use them for that. The sense of like, okay, uh, I can get into a Beatles con uh, concert with a stupid paper ticket, right? But I might save that ticket forever and sell it on eBay. And I think a Beatles ticket from 1964 goes for, I don't know, $50,000 on eBay. And so there's something magical for, let me throw in another one since we're, since we're high-fiving over complicated words. The word is biographical indexicality, or the phrases. Um, oh, now we're just making things up. Oh, no, I swear. <laughs> Danny, <laughs> Google no. it. The idea is it indexes a biog biography of some important event. You're graminated into a sweater. The object connects you to the thing. The ticket connects you to the, to the real Beatles concert, concert, right? So that's a case where you get complementarity between the asset and the event. And if you can do that, which requires a little bit of magic, something about the NFT design, something about the experience itself, them sort of working together, then it does make sense, right? But I don't think utility only has ever made any sense because it's just cheaper to use ERC-20 for the same purpose. Right. I mean, it's almost like people have been creating NFTs and there's been so much hype and urgency to push into the space that a lot of projects are focusing so heavily on that utility without really understanding why they have an asset on chain in the first place. I yeah. mean, it's fascinating. I'm consistently having these conversations about whether something should actually be an NFT or on Ethereum or whatnot. Yeah. We, we, we need a list of here are the good, here are the ideas you're going to think are good, but really smart people have worked on them and had a hard time doing. 
for people who first get into the space, you know? Absolutely. So with all these different conversations about utility NFTs, object first metaverse experiences, where do you think the space is going in the next year? You know, we've seen a lot of interesting activity in the first half. I guess it's almost the first half of 2023 is done. What's next? What are you looking forward to seeing? Yeah, I mean, I think there are some exciting projects on the horizon around NFTs that are targeting more like one of ones and smaller collections like Waterfall is a is a prediction market that I think will help people get excited about things that aren't just sort of like 10,000 you know, pictures that are, you're supposed to put in your PFP. So I think there are some things like that that are exciting on the on the NFT front. Generally, I mean, I think I'm intellectually really interested in MEV, and I think that's going to be a, a hot area of, of interest. And then there's this kind of increasingly prominent narrative around network states or what is the what is our weird digital nomadic nomadic answer to network states and how that organizes itself and i I think that's interesting right because we all sort of live in this weird traveling circus where we're going around from place to place and you know we're having these pop-up communities that are a lot of the same people and is there anything that we can do to sort of organize that in a more interesting way or is it just going to kind of perpetuate itself as you know what's the next secret interesting conference we need to go to and then we just show up Absolutely, absolutely. Well, Balaj is speaking here today, Mm -hmm. and I am writing the chapter of the consensus consensus report on the network state and DAOs and communities. So I've been having a lot of those conversations, really excited to see where it's going. Well, Matt, thank you so much for joining us. It was lovely to talk as always, and enjoy the rest of today. (laughs) Thank you. Great to be here. Thanks, Michelle. It's been weeks weeks since you bought that pass online waiting waiting with 14,000 other people to come to this conference with the biggest ideas the best speakers the most excellent content and also a pretty good podcast it's called consensus you get to Austin you're waiting in line they won't let you in but you're waiting and waiting you're just hoping I need to get in they let you in and then you realize wait this isn't consensus it's a taco stand (laughs) so uh, yeah, Cam, what were the best tacos you had in Austin, Texas? <laughs> yeah, so um, this is actually a funny little story. I didn't like tacos until six months ago. So last oh consensus, I was very change. anti-taco. And I was a closeted taco hater. And then I decided that I liked them and I ate better tacos. I had really good brisket. Wait, 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 wait. Why did you hate tacos? We have to like talk about this for at least a bit. Okay, I have some pretty good reasons. I don't like corn tortillas. Okay. I don't really like how they're so drippy and they get really messy and they get all over your hands. So anyways, last night I had some brisket tacos and oh my, they were so good. I finally had a good taco experience. I knew I would get it here. It was amazing. Danny, what about you? Best tacos? Best tacos. I don't know. I'm going to go the opposite direction. I got to say, Coindesk, we had catered breakfast tacos a couple days ago. And they I have were... one in my bag right now. You have a one in your bag right I have now? One in my bag. Should, that... should we do a taco review? Should we do I mean, a review of this taco right now? We should right do now? a review of the taco on air. We should do a review of the all taco. Right, all all right. right. I'm going to get it out right now. <laughs> okay. This is ASMR of eating a chorizo breakfast ASMR. taco. This is terrible. <laughs> the problem the problem is we're gonna get more listeners than we ever have before. I know. <laughs> it's gonna be all the weird people, all the weird ASMR crypto bros. The crypto Wait, bros are closeted. Yeah. How, how what is the Venn diagram of crypto bros and ASMR listeners? Eat the taco. All right, Cam. What do you mm. think? The trees are a little spicy. It's, it's cooked okay. Anyway, that's the show. Thank you so much for listening to Carpet Consensus. And just because uh, we've seized consensus and it has passed beyond us now, 
we're still going to be recording. We got more freedom than we ever had before, baby. Uh, we'll, we'll be on the air. Keep on listening. We'll never do another taco review again. Nope. But that's for the best. I'm going to finish this in, in peace, and we'll come back soon. We have a lot more exciting content. Like Danny said, consensus is over, but the vibes are not. The vibes it's are gonna not be great. At all. It's going to be a great time. Thanks for always vibing with us. We're really chaotic, and we love yeah. Alan's boots. If, if you want more chaotic energy, like us, subscribe, leave a review, and also Alan's boots, please. Please sponsor us. Thank you so much for listening. Bye. Bye. <laughs> Carpe Consensus is a Coindesk production. Executive produced by Jared Schwartz and produced and edited by Eleanor Paul. Have any questions or comments? Email us at podcasts at coindesk.com. Subject line, Carpe Consensus. Thanks for listening and see you next week. One, two, three, four. Those are numbers. But you already knew that. If you want to know what number you're going to pay each month for your car, use Kelly Blue Book My Wallet on AutoTrader. They're really good at numbers. <laughs> AutoTrader. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator.